welcome to Regrade Request Office Hours, where we take an in-depth look at a single topic or question that's on our mind. My name is Professor Mark Sheriff. It's the first week of class at UVA, so Will rightly has the week off to get ready for class and make sure he's ready to go. So I'm going to have a little bit of office hours time about something I've been thinking about. What I've been thinking about is my Instant Pot. Now, I'm not going to do an Instant Pot commercial, but I got an Instant Pot for Christmas and it's lovely. I've managed to not hurt anyone or myself with the pressure cooker, which admittedly I was a little nervous when first starting to use this thing and the air fryer, which sounds terrifying uh, in, in, in practice, but actually does a really good job with chicken, chicken tenders. So that's great. But the thing about it that really struck me was how many, how much computing power this Instant Pot actually has. Um, I mean, we're all used to now having kitchen appliances that have some sort of digital readout, have multiple buttons on them, do certain things for us. And I know this is really kind of simple, but I put in the chicken tenders, I put it on air fry, and I was reading the box and said, the box said, make sure you flip the chicken tenders halfway through the 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, okay. Watching the timer, I'm gonna make sure that I flip it when it's time. And then the air fryer, the Instant Pot itself, beeped and said, turn food when it was time. And I was like, it's a miracle of modern science. My kitchen appliance is telling me what to do. It's so smart. I mean, really, it's just a timer. It's not really that anything that exciting, but it got me thinking about how much computing power we now have in just everyday things. I mean, look around your kitchen, look around your house. Think about the things that have any sort of digital display in them, any sort of programming, uh, uh, computing power in it. Your microwave, your oven, your tea kettle, for heaven's sakes. I mean, your kids' toys. I mean, tickle me elbow, for that matter, if anyone's old enough to remember those. Modern toys certainly have some computing power in them. So are they computers? What constitutes a computer versus something else? What makes it different? Well, what I want to talk about today is something called an embedded system. What is an embedded system? Well, here is a horrible analogy that I can't get out of my head, but I like it. And so let's see how it goes. You have in your living room a beautiful spot where you want to put a piece of art. Now, how would you go about putting art there? You could you know, just go buy a piece of art buy specifically the thing that you want that does exactly what you want, exactly right sizing, and it goes right in that that spot. Or maybe you want something kind of in between. Maybe you, you, you not in between, uh, you, you want something that's a little bit more interesting. Maybe you get, I don't know, maybe you get a puzzle and you put the puzzle together and then hang the puzzle. You didn't design the puzzle. You didn't um, cut the pieces. You did put it together. You did have a hand in it. You did mount it. So you did have some say in it, but in, in reality, the picture was already there. Or you could go get a canvas and some paints and just go to town and just paint whatever you want. So we have three different levels of complexity here. We have something where it's infinite complexity, a, a, a canvas and paint. You can do whatever you want. You have something kind of in the middle where it's kind of a, you know, it's predetermined, but you can kind of put it together and do interesting things with it. And then you have, oh, I just bought a thing that does it. An embedded system 
is effectively the I bought a thing and does it. You bought a piece of art. Whereas the other end of the, the spectrum here, the, the canvas with the paint, that's a computer. That's a personal computer. So how, how are they different? Well, think about your personal computer. Windows, Mac, doesn't even, doesn't really matter. The purpose of this device is it is a general purpose device. You can install software on it. You can add attachments to it. You can add a game controller, a new keyboard, a printer. It's meant to be, quote unquote, infinitely expandable. You, you have control. If you can't find the program you want, you can write your own. You can figure out exactly what it is that you want to be in that, in that art. You're going to build it. You're going to program it. You're going to find the program. You're going to do it. But you don't always need that much. I don't need to go to art school and figure learn how to paint to then do the appropriate, you know, <laughs> make a nice piece of art that can go where I want it to go. I could just buy the thing that I need. So if we look at, let's say, your microwave, it has a computer in it. By the definition, it has a processor in it. It has something that electricity is going through transistors and is making decisions. It just is specialized for exactly what it needs to do. It's a very small, physically small computer, physically small processing unit that then takes input from the button presses that you give on the, uh, on the, on the screen Maybe there's a thermometer or something along those lines. It's, it's, you know, you have one of those auto defrost systems. I don't know. Checks to see how much stuff is in there. I mean, it gets smarter and smarter. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But it makes decisions based upon that input and then has a control output. I mean, it is the definition of a, of a computer. Even something as simple as, you know, your Teddy Ruxpin doll. Let's really throw back here. You know, there is a, you know, there was something that was a command you press its hand or something, I don't remember, to make it start doing something. So an embedded system basically says, look, I could have a full computer, a full personal computer, an infinitely expandable piece of equipment to go into my microwave. I mean, you could, but why in the world would you ever do that? It's more expensive it takes way more power, which is definitely something we care about. And it's also physically too big for it to really, you know, fit where you want it to be. Now, yes, we can miniaturize things a lot, but still. So what are we looking for when we want an embedded computer, an embedded system? Well, what we want is cheap to make. If you're going to be mass producing something, you want the lowest cost pieces of computing equipment you can find. So you want it down to the bare bones, just the silicon that you need, just that little green board with just enough processing power to do just what you want it to do. You want it to be low power because if you're putting something like this in a kid's toy for that matter, or anything that's going to plug, I mean, really anything, why would you want to draw more power than you absolutely need? particularly if it's something that's going to go in uh, that's something that's battery powered. You want it to draw as little power as possible. Also, embedded systems are often built to be more rugged. I mean, think about your average 
I mean, okay, you're not carrying your microwave around. That's kind of crazy. But if you're trying to carry around any sort of kid's toy that has any sort of light up buttons, control, whatever, there is a there is an embedded system in there. And that sucker's got to take a beating. If we want to get really specific about this, handheld video game systems or even console video game systems in and to themselves are a kind of embedded system. Obviously, if you're talking about a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, you're talking about something way more complex that's obviously leaning much more towards computer. But if you think about something like a Game Boy, an original Game Boy or Game Boy Advance, that very much is an embedded system. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a computer built for a specific purpose. It's not general purpose. It wants to be low, low power. It wants to be rugged. So as we move forward in time from just, oh, we put a chip in you know, our microwave or oven or something that has, a, has an output to it, we realize, okay, we actually can put more processing power in these embedded systems than we were originally, than we were able to at, at still lower power levels. And they're still cheaper. So, huh, if we can put more powerful things into our refrigerators, our televisions, and it's still cost effective, what would we do with that power? What would we do with that processing power? This is how we got things like smart TVs or smart kitchen appliances, things that do more than just the intended action. We now have the processing power to let these things do more than that. So when you turn on a smart television and it comes to a display where you have multiple apps you can choose and things like that, it's still an embedded system. It's just now we were able to put in more memory, maybe a more advanced operating system, maybe a bit more. Uh, there's more uh, processing power or, or just RAM, just active memory that you can have more things running in the background. So that's great. I mean, is there a reason not to put more processing power into them? Yes. Uh, power is always still an issue. Certainly the more complex something is, the more likely it is to fail. But the reason that you have embedded systems, typically one reason is that you lock that sucker down as tight as you can so that it's not like, Oh, I, I, um, I did something weird on my computer and I updated something and now it's not doing things right. Whereas you hopefully are not updating your smart TV a ton. I mean, you still might, it's certainly possible, but you, you know, it, it's a closed system. Now I did say in my analogy, there was a middle ground, right? I had the, I'm going to go to art school and make my own painting. And that's, personal computer, infinite configurability. I can make it do almost anything. And then I had to buy the painting, which was basically an embedded system. I'm going to get a computer that does exactly what I need it to do. And only that for as cheap as possible. And it's rugged and low powered. and It's great. And, and you know, it takes inputs. That's that option. Well, what's that middle ground? What's that? I can, you know, buy something and kind of put it together and do. Okay. My analogy breaks down a little bit here, but there are embedded systems that you can buy that you can build to do your own things. Probably one of the most popular of these is called the Arduino. Uh, you might've heard of this. It is, it is effectively a multi-purpose embedded system kit 
for lack of a better word. It has a, a circuit board that has a that has a processor on it. It has some basic inputs and outputs, but it also has the ability that you can uh, attach wires to it, to a breadboard so that it can send signals to other things. And so the idea is, what do I need to make? In what instance could I make a simple computing thing that will make decisions for me and provide information in an interesting way. So embedded systems are very interesting because you can attach sensors to them. And a sensor could be anything that measures some physical quality of the world. Okay. So a sensor could be a light sensor. How bright is it? It could be um, a tilt sensor. Um, uh, it could be uh, a temperature sensor. It could be an altimeter. It could be, you know, you can think about all the different sensors that are built into your phone for that matter. There's a ton of them, light sensor, uh, microphone, all of those things. So one place, one, one development company I went and visited one time, um, it was in an abandoned warehouse. Abandoned's not right. I mean, they took it over, but whatever. They, they took over a warehouse sort of area at one big floor where all the programmers sat and they had three restrooms total, three restrooms total. They're all kind of together, but they were off in the corner. You couldn't really see them. So anyone sitting at their desk, if they needed to go to the restroom, they'd have to stand up, walk all the way over there, see they were occupied and come all the way back. Well, that, that wasn't great. So when I was visiting, they showed this system and what they did was they took an Arduino and they wired it up so that it would detect Whenever I think it was the door of the bathroom was closed and the light was on. So those are two signals it was listening for. So there was a, a closed circuit when the door closed. They put like a, you know, a panel there that was recording when the door was actually closed. And then I think it was a light sensor to determine if the light was on in there. If those two things were true, those two things were true. Those two sensors would send a signal to the Arduino. True. True and true is true. Hey, digital logic. Love it. If those two things are true, it would light up a, uh, a stop sign or stop signal. <laughs> and there was a different one for each door. So this is, I mean, could you have done this with a, like a spare laptop? Sure, you could have, but it's big, it's bulky. It had to be plugged in. What if it had to reboot? You know, there's a lot of reasons that that's overkill. And also why that actually would be harder to manage. So by making your own embedded controller, your own embedded system with an Arduino, well, that's just neat. Not only is it is it kind of cool, it's kind of fun to be able to tinker with stuff like that, but you know, you get to find a specific need and meet that specific need, and that's just that's just fun. There are other kits out there other than just Arduinos, there are other things that you can find. Um you know, uh, plenty of companies make similar things to to an Arduino to let you build these things and test them out. Plenty of these uh, are used in schools, uh, particularly in electrical engineering programs. It's not as much a computer science program that you see these. I mean, there's certainly some you know interrelationship between the two, but the um, electrical engineering programs, the computer engineering programs, will teach students about. Um, What's the best way to put these together? How is the signal being fed? More about the electricity of it. How is the signal? All that sort of fun stuff. Where I, as a software engineer, I just look at it and go, I plug this into this and it happens. Neat. And I can write software that does stuff for it. So um, there's also manuals you can buy. And there's tons of websites, obviously, with just 
you know, almost makerspace-esque kind of activities you can do. So if you, you know, know a kid that's interested in tinkering and things um, and wanted to try and plug these things together, you know, there's different ranges of how complex um, these projects are. Uh, some of them do require programming. Um, and there, there's various programming systems that you can use with each of these different ones. So you, you have to do a little bit of research, but there's tons of options out there and, and you can build your own to do your own cool thing. How did we even get to embedded systems anyway? What was the first one? Why did we start making these in the first place? Turns out uh, the first modern uh, embedded system was actually in the Apollo guidance computer in the 1960s. So, you know, when we when the Apollo missions were happening, uh, computers at the time, these were things that were taking up, you know, the better part of rooms, vacuum tube-esque type of um, space required in order to do uh, computing at the time. And we needed to have computing power that could... Let's see here. Be rugged. Huh, it's shooting that sucker into space needs to be rugged. Low power. Yeah, that's kind of important as well. And small. Yep. Uh, we're checking off all three boxes here. This is this is what we really needed. So the, uh, the initial uh, embedded systems developed at MIT by, by Charles Draper. Um, these were used um, in the Apollo command module, in the lunar module mainly for collecting data uh, and also for doing on-the-fly calculations um, uh, in flight. So, you know, definitely uh, necessity bred invention in this instance. In order, to, in order to make it to the moon, we really needed to be able to miniaturize computing power such that it was doing very specific things and we could put it in something we were going to shoot into space. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now we're very excited to put those things in, you know, tickle me Elmo dolls and, and microwaves and refrigerators and, and what have you. But, um, you know, after the Apollo program, Intel and other companies like uh, Texas Instruments started uh, building more customizable chips that could be built to do different things. Uh, so that companies, when they were looking to put some sort of controller, some sort of embedded system in a device, a toy, whatever it might be, uh, had a little bit more ability to spec that out and figure out exactly what it is they wanted to do. Now, as we move forward from the 1960s all the way to today, the term you probably hear is Internet of Things, IOT, Internet of Things. So an Internet of Things device, an embedded system, takes us one step further from an embedded system toward a more robust computer. An Internet of Things device, an IoT device, typically has some sort of networking component. It's going to connect via Wi-Fi to your your your, your Wi-Fi in your house. Maybe it has a, a plug in it, an Ethernet plug to plug into the network. And originally, IoT devices were were mainly around things like where do we need to put computing or sensors where people couldn't naturally be? So something like we need to put sensors on the outside of a dam to take uh, temperature readings, pressure readings, whatever it might be. And we want that information constantly coming. Well, you want that sensor to be connected to something so you can gather the data without sending someone out there. Oil rigs is another instance, someplace where we needed to gather data, but didn't really want people to have to go there too terribly often. Like, 
into awkward places in 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 a in machinery, that sort of thing. It now, of course, has expanded to things like your door lock or your home camera, you know, your Nest system, uh, your Ecobee, your uh, your digital uh, thermometer, thermostat, excuse me, uh, for controlling your house. All of these things we would consider IoT devices because these are embedded computers, embedded systems that have the ability to connect to the Internet and can be controlled remotely. And so there's all sorts of interesting things going on in that research space as to not only things like um, how do we have these devices dynamically connect and change and move networks to privacy concerns, which we talked about a little bit last week with what Alexa does. Um, Certainly Alexa is part of Alexa and all those assistants are part of this entire ecosystem of Internet of Things devices. And it's it's an exciting way of thinking about personal computing moving forward Uh, as we have. Cyber physical systems is, is another term for it, where we do a lot of research at, at UVA. You know, what if we had sensors, uh, you know, monitoring individuals who had um, serious health conditions? You know, uh, there are certainly people who um, might have a specialized medical device that is constantly sending feedback back to a hospital or to a doctor or something like that, hopefully certainly with good security precautions in place. But ideas like that, where we can constantly have information at the tip of our fingertips is both very exciting and also, you know, a little bit, you know, let's think about how we want to use this data and make sure we're securing it and being good with it. So anyway, all of this, all of this for me making some chicken tenders in an instant pot. The mind goes to crazy places, doesn't it? Sometimes you just start thinking about things and, and just kind of keeps on going. But, you know, computers are everywhere, whether they are your personal computer or an embedded system or something, something in between. Look around and see what you think might have a little bit more power to it than you think. So hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe through uh, the trying times that it is. Take care. Be safe and watch for falling goats. Bye.